and welcome to this latest episode of Women in Confidence. This is episode 52 and lovely to have you listening in today. So this week I'm joined by Pam Luck, who is the founder of a company called Ember and Ace, which is athletic wear for plus-size children. And we're going to dive into why she founded the business and why being a project manager, which is her superpower, has helped her succeed in the business where there are so many challenges. You know, think financing, sourcing fabrics, manufacturing, distribution. And I should have mentioned she founded this company during a pandemic. So hello, Pam, and welcome to the show. So welcome to the show, Pam, and thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Great. And if you just let the audience know where you're coming from today, that'll be brilliant because I love the fact this podcast is global. Yeah, I live in Northern California, just over the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin County. So just outside of San Francisco. Oh, nice. And actually, for those, um, you won't be able to see this, but I can. So Pam has a photograph, I'm assuming, of the Golden Gate Bridge behind you. It is. Which is a giveaway, I suppose, of where you are. (laughs) All right, well, let's get on with the show. Pam, so how I start every episode is asking this question of my guests. So if you could answer, that'd be amazing. What does having confidence mean to you? Confidence to me is about sort of figuring out who you are when you peel away sort of all the external expectations and shoulds and you go out every day and you be that person. And you choose to do that again and again and again every day. And I really like to find out from my guests on a scale of one to 10, how confident generally are you? (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I would say most days, like a seven, depending. And I will say, you know, doing what I'm doing now as a business, I'm so far outside my comfort zone a lot that I feel like that number slid down a little probably in the last couple of years. I, w- I probably would have said eight a couple of years ago. And, you know, given the number of things that I'm getting into where I feel like I'm way outside of my comfort zone, it does feel like that it's a little harder sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's go straight into your business because this is one of the reasons why I got you on is because I want you to talk about your business and how you found that, that gap in the market. And then you've really seized the opportunity and done something about it. So tell everybody about your business because I think it's incredible. Thank you. So I started a business called Ember and Ace, which is an athletic wear line exclusively for plus size kids. So this is kids that wear, you know, larger than um, an extra large. And it's specifically athletic wear because these kids do move their bodies. They do play sports. They do enjoy dancing and other kinds of activities like martial arts. And no one makes clothes for them. And I know this because I have been plus size my entire life. And I loved soccer growing up and I loved dance. And it was a really, it was a struggle to find clothing that fit me. I remember having to go to the men's section at the sporting goods store to try and find soccer clothing that would fit my body when I was in high school. And, you know, finding leotards for dance got really tough. And I, you know, stopped taking dance when I um, graduated from college. But it's been 30 years since I was a high schooler. And I have a daughter now who's in a bigger body and loves dance. And the problem hasn't gone away. It's still here. It's been 30 years. And so I'm like, why has nothing been done? Why has nothing been done to make clothing for these kids? So I decided I was done waiting. So I'm going to take this on. I don't have a background in manufacturing or apparel, 
or design, but I'm passionate about this, obviously, because it's something that I, I've lived and, and my daughter lives. And so, yeah, so that's where Ember and Ace came from, was just this real strong pull to do something to solve this problem. And what's the background to the name? Ember and Ace is sort of a play on the word embrace, because what it feels like is no one has sort of taken on the opportunity to embrace these kids and say, hey, I see you and I want to make clothes for you. And so that's sort of when I was sitting with my journal and just sort of scribbling and just seeing what comes out, because, you know, it's really t it's tough to name a business, right? It's tough to find something that's unique, but maybe not strange with weird spellings and hasn't already been claimed by someone so there was a there was a number of days where I was like just sort of trying to journal my way into something and that's sort of where I landed and I, I know I like it. it works for me no I think it works perfectly and you're so right naming a business you spend days like locked in a room trying to name a business but you're so right the the power in a name is so important and I really like you you've got that embrace ember and ace I think it's amazing Oh, yeah. So let's talk about your journey and how you became to be a business owner and um, in clothing and plus size. So I know you didn't start in this because you just said you don't have a background right. in it. So where <laughs> did your career start? So I've spent the bulk of my professional career as a, a technical project manager. I did code in the early days um, in the late 90s, but moved into project management. And I'm actually a certified project management professional. PMP. And so that's what I've done for 20 some years. And so there's really, you can't really draw a straight line from technical project management to becoming a small business owner that makes a physical product apparel. But I will say having project management experience has been the key to tackling something where I feel like I'm very much outside of my comfort zone. It maybe doesn't necessarily make sense because one of the things you do in project management is just you try to identify problems and then break it down and say, how do we get from problem to solution? And so I have drawn on that skill set repeatedly and just even being able to back into, well, if I want to say, you know, have a pattern completed by this date, how long is that going to take me and how, you know, sort of backing into how we sort of approach all these problems. So it's, it's been something that I've really leaned on. Um, as I've learned so, so much about, you know, pattern making and fabric sourcing and how do you find a manufacturer and, you know, even just learning the vocabulary, every business has its own vocabulary that you have to sort of learn so that you can communicate with others in that same industry. So it's definitely been, it's been interesting, but I absolutely think that although I'm very far outside of my comfort zone, project management has been fundamental for me in sort of finding my way. Mm. I'm just going to rewind a bit, Pam, because you mentioned very in passing about coding in the 1990s, um, which which I imagine at the time, or certainly from my world, people just weren't talking about coding, whereas now it seems like you can learn it at school, you can do it, you know, online, you know, even, you know, my parents could do it in their 70s, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so accessible. But how did you get into coding? I came about it. In, I feel like everything in my life sort of come about it in an, an interesting way. My degree is actually in international business and economics. But when I graduated from college, it was 1994. And there was a huge recession in the United States. Um, it was really tough to find work. And I was living in the metro DC area at the time, which is in the US, one of the places that's a little bit insulated from recession, because there's so much federal work 
so many government positions and contracts in government positions, but there was an opportunity for me to go what turned out to be one of the earliest iterations of like a coding school, not a college program, but like a boot camp, which are everywhere now. Mm. But this was in 1994 and it was sort of this weird idea. Um, and so you had to, I had to go through some tests like to detect, to sort of determine if you have the sort of thinking patterns that work for learning to code. Um, and so I was accepted and I completed the boot camp and I got a job working for a software vendor in DC and then did work on a number of federal clients for almost the bulk of that time. And it was very much, it's very strange to think of it now because everybody's like, oh yeah, of course you went to a boot, like a, a boot camp and that's, yeah, that's what everybody does. But it was not the norm in the late nineties. And it certainly also wasn't the norm for women. So it was one of those wild things that I just sort of got into, but also found that as much as I love coding, I was one of those people that could bridge between the users and the technical teams, because that's a really, that's a tough sort of space. You know, the technical team works and thinks in one way and the user community works and thinks in a very different way. And if you can find someone that can almost act as a translator between those communities, that's what's sort of necessary to take, well, this is what I want and to get that to the technical team in a way that's going to make sense to them. So I moved into project management and as part of some of the work that I had done around, you know, requirements and bridging those two communities. But I do miss it sometimes, but not enough to go back. <laughs> well, you've got, you know, this amazing business now, which is obviously going to take off. So let's talk about that a little bit more. And I want to go back again to something else you said. You said, you know, but nobody else, no other organizations or sports companies or clothing companies were making or are making clothing for plus size children and I'm really surprised by that because mm. and when we met last time you were telling me around the in, the data around the average size of children has been growing yeah and over I the think last the, you know decades yeah the data I have most recently some of the data is not that current because it's really difficult on the children's market isn't actually broken down by size it's typically only broken down by gender um so you sort of have to somebody has to go in and sort of try and dig that out through a combination of, you know, data that maybe the CDC is gathering um, and data that, you know, the business community is gathering. So some of the marketing data that I've seen, and this was from around 2017, is that 18 to 20% of children now fit into the plus size range um, in the United States. And based on the size of the children's clothing market in the United States, 18 to 20% of that market is $9 billion a year. Um, for plus size children alone, because I think the full market for um, in the United States and children's wear is 55 billion, somewhere around there. So it's a large segment. It's a growing segment of the population and it's underserved, significantly underserved. And I, I've been thinking about sort of why, why is that? I think it's a couple of things. I think it's, it's a difficult children's, clothing is a difficult market because they're not like adults. They move in and out of sizes fairly quickly. And so it tends to be price sensitive, right? Whereas I, at my age, might be willing to invest in an expensive piece because I'm going to wear it for years and years. That's not the case with children. I feel like sometimes with our kids, we're lucky if we get like six months out of a pair of shoes or a pair of pants. And then you're like, all right, we're on to the next size. So <laughs> it does tend to be more price sensitive. And I do think, you know, it, it's taken some effort to try and sort of work through sizing. I can't just go and pull something off the rack. When we were starting on the first set of patterns, 
you have to take into account, you know, that bodies are shaped differently and, and, but you don't need to expand everything. For example, ankles don't grow at the same ratio that hips and waists do. And these children aren't also, you know, phenomenally tall. So I don't need to take the inseam and add six inches. So there's a lot of work into sort of working through and getting the fit right. And, you know, I think part of it is just, there's never been a, well, the market is doing well and you can sell a ton of kids clothes. Why would you take on sort of the challenges particularly when it is a market that tends to move and change fairly quickly. But um, I do think, I think it's where there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for the folks that are willing to sort of take on some of the challenges of, of that. So starting a new business in an area that you've got passion for and see there's a gap, but don't have the knowledge around patterns, manufacturing, mm-hmm. supply chain, fabrics, all those sorts of things that, that, could seem like many people to be like oh that's too much I can't I don't even know where to start the barrier to entry is too big for me I mean what how did you go for it like what is it about you Pam that was just like you know what I'm just gonna go for it I will say I do think it matters sort of the the world that we live in today I'm able to google a tremendous amount. I think if it had been 30 years ago and I'm like, how do you find fabrics overseas? And how do you, you know, so I think there's a lot more that's accessible in terms of if you're willing to learn, you can find a way. Um, For example, there is an entrepreneurship center here in the Bay Area and they run a series specifically on starting an apparel line. And so I'm able to take, you know, small business courses specifically geared toward this industry because it's a popular space, right? It's a space where you see a lot of people moving, whether it be T-shirts or adult wear or whatever. But so able to sort of get that foundation. And I think part of it is just being willing to say out loud, I don't know how this works. Will you help me? And just sort of having faith in your ability to to learn things and to find the right people to help you be successful and I think that's true regardless if you really think about it everyone that starts a business you come in with a certain area that you're remarkably comfortable with and then there's going to be parts of that business that you're really uncomfortable with and so for me because of my business degree and background I'm more comfortable more with the business aspects of it and so like some of the things that you have to do around you know, accounting and, and marketing and things of that nature, but all of the manufacturing and apparel stuff is new to me. But I'm able to sort of find ways to learn and being willing to say, I don't know, being willing to make mistakes have been a huge piece of that. And and I think being passionate about it makes it easier to just keep trying really at the end of the day. You don't throw up your hands and say, this is too hard in part because it matters so much to me. Um, mm. to try and make this work and launching a business that does need it's a you know product it's not just selling you needs a capital injection to start with now on paper people you know investors be like well this doesn't make sense perhaps because you know Pam doesn't have a background in you know fashion right. or clothing or import expo all that sort of thing so how did you go about getting money that capital up front yeah so I will say even if I did have a background, fashion is one of those spaces where there's not a ton of investors looking to spend money because it is one of those things that's just really, parts of it are hugely subjective and you don't really know, but it's not an area that you tend to see a lot of investment. But in addition to that, being new and sort of being someone that didn't have a background, 
I knew I wasn't going to get, you know, a ton of people interested in supporting in those early days. So I am lucky. My husband and I have both worked throughout our lives. I worked obviously in the tech space and project management and have made a good living. And we owned a house in San Francisco. And I said to my husband, I really want to do this. Can we sell the house? (laughs) In order to sort of tap into all the equity that we had, you know, over the years. And my husband, bless him, is an amazing man and said yes. So we sold our house in San Francisco and specifically set aside some of those funds to give me time and space to build this company. And so it's a privilege that I have that I'm able to access. And, you know, I also just this past summer had um, a Kickstarter campaign and raised another 5,000 there. And that was mostly a friends and family raise with people who I've worked with or that I've known over my life and said, yeah, she's a hard worker and she's smart and she's going to figure it out. And I will absolutely support her. And so between the money that my husband and I have put in and those funds, our first production run is about to start right now. Well, tell me about Kickstarter because I'm not really sure. I've got an idea of what it would be, but I'd like to hear what it actually is. That'd be great. Sure. So Kickstarter is a platform where you're basically able to take an idea and get it funded from the masses. The idea being these are, in a lot of instances, potential customers who are interested in what you're trying to produce and will front the money. So they are basically saying, I will buy this from you when you produce it. So that you're able to get the funds up front to handle all the raw material purchases, the manufacturing costs, because anytime you're generating or creating a product, the costs are right up front, right? You have to purchase raw materials, get them shipped, pay the workers to sew the garments and then package them up. And so you've already spent all that money before it even hits the shelf. So Kickstarter is a way for you to tap into your customer base and say, look, I'm going to make this. Will you back it? and provide those funds up front. And when we make it, I will then just ship it to you. And so the interesting thing about Kickstarter, there's a couple of platforms. Indiegogo is another, but with Kickstarter, their model is all or nothing. So if I didn't raise my full 5,000, if I raised $4,992, I get nothing. And it's an interesting concept. I think it's part of why people like it is it adds an interesting layer of excitement to the whole idea. But yeah, so I ended up setting a goal um, of $5,000 to purchase fabric for this first production run and successfully raised in July. All right. So you you said you've got a production run now. Is that, is that right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And how's that going? It's It's going well. I mean, I think it's just, everything takes a little longer than I think it's going to. I think that's been my biggest learning. You know, in terms of, you know, we get all the fabric delivered and then we we take and create what are called production samples. So I've provided samples that were sewn so I can show it to the factory and say, this is what it should look like. And they use that for pricing. And then they produce for me a production sample to demonstrate that they understand my sample and what I'm looking for. And then I have to go through an approval process with those. And then in addition to just looking at them, we check against measurements, against the spec. So we've just completed all of that. And so now we're going to actually make the full run um, of all five pieces. So it's awesome and nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> and where can people buy the products then when they finally hit? When they finally the hit? Um, th- yeah, they're going to be sold on my website, which is embernace.com. 
And I have the products up and listed. They're all just showing sold out, but it's an opportunity for folks to take a look at all five pieces um, and sort of look at the photos and get a sense of what they all look like. But then, you know, they can sign up for the newsletter and then I'll send an out, um, a burst out when product is actually in my hands and, and we've got inventory. But it's all currently going to be online through um, my website. And with Ember and Ace, is it just you or do you have a team uh, of people behind you, which we can't see, but are doing the marketing, the selling, the the sourcing of manufacturing, the research, the development? Is it or is it just you, Pam? At this point, I do work with some consultants because there's absolutely no way I could do all of these things myself. I have a pattern maker who makes all my patterns because I don't have that skill set at all. And she's been tremendously helpful. I'm, I handled sourcing for the most part by myself. This is a combination of the education I've gotten through the courses I've taken and my mother actually sews. So I grew up around somebody, you know, and I understand some of the basics of fabrics. And so it's not a completely foreign concept. So I had a hand in all of that. I have had contract, like consulting, marketing support and uh, public relations support. Because again, I'm just, it's just me. <laughs> And I am trying to sort of use other folks to sort of amplify here and there, but I don't have any other full-time employees. And my husband is, he's a graphic design and photography background. He's a photographer. So he took all the photos um, on the website and helps a lot with some design elements. And anytime I'm come running in and <laughs> need a graphic, which is probably more often than he would like. <laughs> You sound like an incredibly resourceful person. Like to to do this, to, to you know, to sell your house, to you know, start a business. I mean, it's, there's a risk, isn't there? But I guess yeah. what I'm hearing, Pam, is you're incredibly resourceful. So, and you're not afraid to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Somebody help me. I just think you you just sounds such a great inspiration for many people who are perhaps on the edge. They're like, I don't know whether I'm going to do this. I will say this. There's a couple of things I will say. I want to be clear. I'm scared and nervous a lot. And I don't want people to think that that feeling ever really goes away because it doesn't. You just learn to do things scared, really, at the end of the day. And I, I will say, I think there's a couple of things that have made this process, I guess, easier is the word I'll use, but it's not easy. Honestly, being becoming a parent. I have a 13-year-old daughter. You want to talk about not knowing what you're doing on a daily basis. I think it starts from when you have a child because I got really used to not knowing what I was doing or to have figured something out and then have it completely change the very next day. And you're just constantly in this state as a parent of like figuring things out. And I feel like people don't understand what a huge benefit that can be for everything in life because now I'm like, all right, what, what, what's happening today? <laughs> what's new and interesting It's going to come flying our direction? But, And I will also say I turned 50 this summer and starting a business in my 40s, I don't think I would have ever considered it at a much younger age. So I do feel like there's something about a couple of things. Getting through, getting through those tough years, I think when my daughter was younger, I really wanted stability. I wanted to just sort of make it through, you know, from birth to five, you're like in it. You're so hands-on. You're just so hands-on. And I think I cared more about what people thought when I was in my 20s and early 30s. 
now, you know, my daughter's like door closed, leave me alone. And I'm like, great. I have all this time. And I just am starting to just realize that I don't care so much about what other people have to say about the choices that I'm making in part because I don't care. And in part, because honestly, nobody's really paying attention. We're all so busy and have so many things going on in our own lives that nobody's really paying attention to what I'm doing over here. So it, those things have helped, I think, to some degree. I really like that be- about caring what people think, because for me, confidence and having true confidence is not caring because you're so certain and so solid at your core. It doesn't matter actually what anyone else thinks. But I, but I think that does come with maturity. Yeah. I think when you're younger, and I see this because I've got two teenage kids, is that they are so wound up in what other people think of them. Whereas I'm like 40, uh, 50 next year, like who gives a crap? It's like, right. It doesn't matter. And I think there's something beautiful about aging. Like sometimes it's forgotten. Is that actually it's really great moment in your life where you really don't care. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm like... I feel freer around, you know, what I'm saying, what I'm doing, what I'm wearing. It's just, I don't have time for time for that. <laughs> don't. You're so right. Yeah. You spend a lot of your youth, like using time and energy on something that's so irrelevant in life, really, is like what somebody cares, thinks about you. So thank you for raising that because that's a really important point. So and I will say, sorry, the, one other thing I do want to mention because I do think it's a huge piece of this for me is that I've had a meditation practice now for a number of years and that ability to sort of get that space between thoughts that come up and not immediately acting on those things. Because I think that's where, you know, a lot of the things that come up for for me, particularly when I'm doing things, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing and sort of the negative self-talk that can sort of start to generate Meditation for me has sort of given me some space to really stop for a minute before I sort of get in that spiral of all the things I don't know and that I'll never be successful and down you go. It's really sort of offered this space for me to pull back and go, okay, that's just a thought. It's not a fact. And I can choose to just let that go. So um, that I feel like has been an important piece of this journey as well. I only got into meditation fairly late and a lot of my guests who come on who is roughly around the same age have really reached out to meditation because they found it so useful and I read this beautiful quote and I'm going to really misquote it between the stimulus and the action there's this moment and you have a choice in that moment and that is where I guess you're saying is the meditation gives you that space between the stimulus and then you taking an action which you might then regret and realizing well it's just a thought and it's a thought that I've then added my lens onto so it's not actually real at all exactly yeah exactly right and yeah I think the way I've heard it phrased is it it gives me the ability to respond not react because reaction is what happens in the instant right where I have a reaction to what you're saying or what's happened but meditation allows me the space to sort of respond And to realize that, you know, sometimes the things that the thoughts that you're thinking aren't even your own. And this comes up a lot, you know, when you talk about how people feel about their bodies and being plus size. And that was also a key part of me getting to a better space with my own body. Children aren't born hating their bodies, disliking the way that they're built. That's something that you internalize through culture, 
through media, through all the things that we sort of take in. So in that case, that thought really isn't mine. That's something that I've internalized because of external sources. And so I can now choose to say no to that. So, yeah. So what's next, Ember Nice? What's next? I am excited to get this five-piece line in production and to start get people's feedback. I'd love to hear from folks, you know, what else do you need to be making? What, what's coming next? And then obviously expanding production is a big piece of what's going to happen for us next year, you know, pursuing loans to the SBA and trying to really increase the number of pieces that we have available. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a big year next year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine your vision board. It would just I mean, full. <laughs> be amazing. I mean, it'd be really good to share that. Actually, to see, you know, because next year is going to be big. You're absolutely right. It's going to be big for you. Yeah. and. It's definitely taken a long time to sort of get to this place. And I think that's a combination of uh, starting a business during the pandemic was <laughs> take everything that this difficult about starting a business and then make it go even slower. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited that I feel like we're starting to really um, make some moves and get some traction. And I'm excited for next year. Well, I wish you all the best in in that. Really do. And thank you very much for being on the show. It's been incredible. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it so much.